Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. That still stresses me out every time I watch that. I've seen it so many weeks now as we've been going through this series together. Hey, if you're brand new, if this is your first time with us, I'd just love to welcome you and say I'm glad that you're here. I hope that you discover what it is that God is doing in your life and bringing you with us here today. And I'd love to catch you up to speed as we go into our time of teaching. We've been in this series together as a church called The Simple Life in which we've been looking at what does it really mean to put first things first in our lives as followers of Jesus. Because I don't know if you've been paying attention to the world around us, but it runs at a crazy pace, and it's not slowing down anytime soon. And so what we're beginning to discover and ask as, a, as followers of Christ is, what does it mean for us to live our life for Him and to run at the pace He's calling us to run out as we put Him at the center of our life? And so one of the things that we've been doing in this series is just looking at different areas of life and saying, God, what do you want from me in this area of my life? And a lot of times when we think about making priorities as followers of Christ, we think of making this priority list where we put God on top and then family and then other things that follow. And yet one of the things that we've seen is that that's not really a good way of thinking at it because if God's at the top of the list, you would, like you could check him off and then move on to other things in your life as if you'd ever be done with God or he'd ever be done with you. And so another way of thinking about this is that instead of him at the top of a list, he's at the center of our lives. And so like we have this diagram here to represent what this could look like. And so God is at the center of our lives as followers of Christ. And then everything else in our life revolves around that. And so if we've got that relationship in a good place, everything we need to know about following him is going to flow out of that. And so we've been studying this from the perspective of our church and the mission and vision of our church is that we are here to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers. And a passionate Christ follower is somebody who is doing four things. They're pursuing God as their first love in every area of their life. God, what do you want from me? What do you have for me in this area of my life? And a, and a follower of Christ is somebody who is seeking to love other people. So God, how have you loved me? Now teach me in turn to love others that same way. And then as followers of Christ, we're seeking to serve sacrificially. So God, with the ways that you've gifted me and called me, what do you want me to do for you in this life? And then we're also learning how to share Christ with others. And so to share the message of Jesus with our words and our actions so that others would see how great he is. And so we've been unpacking this within the context of our series. And so last week, we started talking about this idea of what does it look like as followers of Christ to serve sacrificially? And so last week, we looked at in the area of our career. And so God, what do you want from me in my work and how I work and the way I represent you in that? And so today, we're going to continue to unpack this idea of serving God sacrificially in the area of the simple life and putting first things first when it comes to our ministry. And so we have this wheel, so we'll spin it. It's kind of fun. I see Mike play with this every week. All right. And so in the area of ministry, like, God, what do you want from me? What do you have for me in this area of my life? And so we're going to unpack this together today. So if you could do me a couple of favors. In your programs, there's some message notes that should help you follow along. And if you have your Bibles, get them out. Turn them on to Ephesians chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible today, this would be a great opportunity to meet someone next to you and find out if they really are a follower of Christ and their willingness to share with you. But what we're going to see here in Ephesians 4 today is, is Paul is writing to the first Christians and he's helping them understand the sense that they have a call on their life, that God has a calling on their life to live for him. And what does it look like as followers of Christ to do that? And so as we unpack what Paul says, we're going to say, what are the implications for this for our life today? And so if you're there in Ephesians 1, let's get ready to jump in. And so Paul writes these words, Ephesians 4 verse 1. 
He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So what Paul wants us to understand is that as followers of Jesus, every single one of us has a calling on our life. And it's not simply the fact that we have been called into new life as followers of Jesus. Because to be sure that's the case, Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.9 that he has called us out of darkness into his wonderful life. And he's called us into new life. But in this new life now, we have a calling to live for him. And this is what Paul wants us to understand, that there's a calling on your life as a follower of Jesus. It's to live life for him. And so he says, I want you to live a life worthy of that calling. So how do we do this? And so he goes on to explain in verse 2. He says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so right away we see that as, as Paul calls us to live a life worthy of the calling we've received as followers of Jesus, that that calling has immediate implications for how we do life with one another, for our relationships with one another. Because what does he say that we need to do in our relationships with one another? He says we need to be humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Why would we need to do that? Because we're messed up, right? I mean, we all have issues, right? I mean, that's why we came to Jesus in the first place is because I know how much I need him and I need his help not only to rescue me, but to begin to restore me and put my life back together. And do you know what happens when you bring a bunch of people with issues together and say that, tell them to do life together? It gets messy, doesn't it? Which is why he says, bear with one another because he's at work in all of our lives. And if we are going to live a life worthy of the calling he's placed on us, if we're going to live our life for him, we understand it's going to have implication for how we do life with one another. So verse 3 says, So make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And here's why, verse 4. There is one body. And so now whenever Paul talks about groups of Christians coming together, he oftentimes uses the illustration or the analogy of a human body. And he says that as individual, individual followers of Christ, when we come together collectively, we are the body of Christ in this world. And so he wants us to understand that there is one body and one spirit. So the spirit of God who is at work in my life is the spirit of God who is at work in your life. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. And who is that hope? It's him. It's not you. It's not me. We all have the same hope, and it's him. Verse 5, there's one Lord, that's Jesus. One faith, we're all putting our trust in the same person. One baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And what Paul wants us to understand is that because we now belong to him, We are one in him because he's the one who's at work in all of our lives. And there should be amongst us a deep sense of unity that transcends whatever it would be in this world that would say to divide us. And so as we gather here together, if we belong to Jesus, we are one in him. And that should give unity and that transcends anything that would divide us. And this world would tell us that we should divide for all sorts of reasons. But as followers of Christ, we say no longer do we divide for those reasons. Because of him, we are now united. So we no longer divide along ethnic or cultural lines. We no longer divide on socioeconomic status. We no longer divide along political party lines. 
You hear me, Republicans? You hear me, Democrats? Right? That whatever this world would say that would divide us, as we come into this new life with him, we are one in him. We are united. And so the calling on our life that God has placed has implications for how we do life together. And there should be a deep sense of unity amongst us because we all share this in common now. And yet even though there is a sense of unity amongst us, that does not mean uniformity. As if we're all going to look the same and be the same. There's going to be a uniqueness to us. So look at what Paul says next in verse 7. He says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And so what Paul is talking about here is this idea of spiritual gifts, this idea that God takes each one of us as followers of Jesus and he uniquely gifts us to be a part of his movement, to be a part of his body. And it's a gift of God's grace poured out upon our life. That's why he says to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And here's what you need to understand. Paul's not simply talking about saving grace, as amazing as that is. And to be sure, he talks about that in this letter in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. And yet God's grace on our lives is so much more than that he's saving us. God puts his grace on our life to be a part of what he's doing in this world. And so he graces us by gifting us to be a part of his body. And now Paul doesn't really go on to explain here in Ephesians what he means by this idea of spiritual gifts. It's probably safe to say that his original audience understood all this because this was a church that he helped get started. But for our conversation today, I'd like to look at something else that Paul writes that kind of fleshes out the idea of spiritual gifts to give us a sense of what he means. So keep your finger in Ephesians 4. We're going to come back here. But flip to the left a couple of books until you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And here, Paul gives a fuller explanation of what he means when he talks about this idea of spiritual gifts. Make sure you're in 1 Corinthians 12, not 2 Corinthians 12, or it's going to get confusing for you. And so this is what Paul writes about this idea of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. He says this, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, he says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, and so the Corinthian Christians that he's writing to came out of paganism. So he says, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit of God at work in their life is the one who affirms the fact that they now belong to him. And so he goes on then in verse 4, he says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. And so you get this theme, this idea that there should be this incredible unity amongst us because it's the same Spirit at work within us, but there's still a distinctiveness to us in the sense of how He's gifted us. And so he says in verse 7, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the what? The common good. So that means that however you've been gifted, that gift is not for you. It's to be used for the benefit of everyone else in the body of Christ. 
And then Paul goes on to give some examples of different kinds of spiritual gifts. And so this is not an exhaustive list. This is just a sampling of what he's given. And his point is to let us know that it's the Spirit of God behind every single one of them. And so he says, to, to one there is given the Spirit, but given through the Spirit, the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He gives them to each one just as He determines. And so Paul gives us a bigger picture of what, what spiritual gifts are and how they're meant to be used. And here in 1 Corinthians 12, he says that it's the Spirit who gives them to whom the Spirit determines. Yet back in Ephesians 4, he says that grace is given as Christ has apportioned it. The reason is because it's the Spirit of Christ who is at work in our lives. And so go back to Ephesians 4. And we see what Paul is writing here is the sense that we have a calling on our lives and we're to live a life worthy of that calling and how we relate and do life together and that there should be an incredible unity amongst us but there's a distinctiveness to us because we've been gifted by Christ and the purpose of that gifting is to love each other, to build each other up. And so if you follow what Paul is saying here, there is a significant implication for your life as a follower of Jesus and this is it. As a follower of Jesus, you have been called and gifted to play your part in the body of Christ. As a follower of Jesus, you have been called by him and gifted by him to play your part in his body. That means that there is more to the Christian life than simply showing up on a Sunday. That means there is more to the Christian life than maybe you thought. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, he wants to use you to do amazing things within the context of his church. And so Paul goes on to flesh out who it is that has called us. So verses 9 through 10, he kind of goes off on a little gospel tangent here. And he says, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. But this is kind of a nutshell of the gospel that Jesus came for us, gave his life to give us life, and then went back to be king of kings and lord of lords. Paul spells this out in a much broader picture. If you read in, in Philippians chapter 2, he's quoting from an early Christian hymn or an early Christian song in Philippians chapter 2, and this is how he puts it there. He says that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, he descended for us. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is who has called you. That is who has gifted you to play a part in his body. See, this is the major leagues that he's called you to be a part of. 
This isn't a farm team. The King of kings and Lord of lords has called you to play a part in his body, in his church, to be a part of his movement in this world. That is your birthright as a follower of Christ. And so Paul wants us to understand more and more how this, how this works and how this plays itself out as we do life together. So he goes on then in verse 11, and he says this, he says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. And so what Paul wants us to understand is that as followers of Jesus, we are all called, we are all gifted to play our part in the body of Christ. And then Jesus comes and he takes some of the called and some of the gifted and he gives them back as gifts to the church for the purpose of preparing them for works of service. That this is the role, this is the purpose of leadership in the church. The role of leadership in the church is to prepare everyone in the body of Christ to play their part. No, it's not the purpose of leadership to do the works of service for the body of Christ, for the church. You need to understand that because I think a lot of times there's a misconception in how we do church and we think that a lot of times it's the role of the leadership, it's the role of the pastor to go and do the churchy stuff, right? And it's like, no, it's not. Can I just say, it bugs me. It drives me crazy when someone comes to me and says, hey, Joel, there's this need that I found. Can you do something about it? And I just want to hit him upside the head with Ephesians 4, in love, (laughs) and bear with them, Right? And help them understand, you know what? We're called to do something. We're called to do it together. My, my job, my role as a leader in the church is to fan the flame of what God has put in your heart. And so let's do something about it. You be obedient to what he's calling you to do. He's brought that to your attention because he wants you to do something about it. It's a works of service he's prepared you to do. And look what happens when we get this right. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be what? Built up. That this is how we grow together. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become what? Mature. Do you understand that maturing and growing as a follower of Christ is not a solo endeavor? It happens within the context of the body of Christ being the body of Christ together. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then when we get this right, it's a beautiful thing because look at what Paul says here in the next few verses. He says, then we will no longer be infants. Why? Because we've been growing up as we've been doing the things that God has called us to do. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. That as we do life together, as we're growing up into him, as we have a deeper understanding of who he is, if somebody comes in and starts saying crazy things, we're like, no, we know that's not true because we've seen what he's been doing amongst us. You're talking crazy. That's not of him. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. That as we're doing this right, as we're living out the calling is placed upon our life, as we're using our gifts with one another, serving one another, we will speak truth into one another's life. That means there will be times where we will challenge one another. We will call each other out. We will encourage one another in the context of love because we're trying to build one another up for him. And then verse 16, from him, the whole body joined and held together by 
every supporting ligament, that's you, that's me, that's every single one of us, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so let me ask you a question this morning in light of what we've just seen here. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, are you playing your part in his body? Are you playing your part in his movement? And and I would imagine that for some of us, the answer would be yes. Like, yes, I am, and and I have a sense of this, and here's how it's happening, and here's here's what it is. I I would imagine that for some of us, we'd be like, you know, I've kind of heard this before, but I've never really engaged, and so my hope is that as we talk about this today, you'll begin to want to engage. And I think that maybe for some of you, this might be the first time you've ever heard this as a follower of Jesus. So you're like, oh, I just thought we came here and sang songs, right? It's like, there's more to this than that? Oh, there's so much more to this. And so I want to ask you a couple of questions to help you figure out this idea if you're playing your part in the body of Christ. Because here's the thing, if you are playing your part in the body of Christ, you will be experiencing these things I'm going to be asking you about. But if you're not playing your part, then most likely as a follower of Christ, you won't be experiencing these things. And so my hope in asking you these questions is that it will speak to your experience as a follower of Jesus and it will begin to awaken you to the reality that maybe there's more for you on the journey than what you've thought so far. And so here's my first question for you to help you determine whether or not you're playing your part. As a follower of Jesus, are you fulfilled? As a follower of Jesus, are you fulfilled? And and let me paint a picture. Let me explain what I mean by this idea of fulfilled. Because being fulfilled does not mean arriving at a certain place. Being fulfilled is is about a quality or experience of life. And so here's what I think it, it looks like. Here's what I think it means to be fulfilled as a follower of Jesus. That as you follow him, as you pursue him, he begins to put desires within your heart to want to live for him. And then he creates opportunities for you to go and serve him that satisfy those desires. And yet as you live out those desires, as you serve him, it awakens within you a hunger for more of him in your life. And so that desire is renewed. And as you continue to serve him, you find fulfillment. Let me use the analogy of our own physical body and our our hunger in in our bodies. So imagine that your body's working normally and you're eating healthy food. Some of us, let's really imagine that, but just go with me on the analogy, right? And so here we are, we, we have this appetite, we have this hunger, and we go and we satisfy it with something healthy that nourishes us, that provides us energy so that we can go and be active and live life. And then as we're living life and being active, it creates hunger within us again so that we satisfy it with something healthy that creates energy. That, you know, you see the cycle that goes on. That's what it, that's what it looks like to be fulfilled as a follower of Jesus is that he is doing something within you that's awakening you to what he has for you. And as you engage, it creates a deeper desire for him that is satisfied in the life he's called you to live. Fulfilled. That's what he's come to give you. Look at what Jesus says here in John chapter 10 on your message notes. John chapter 10 verses 9 through 10, Jesus is teaching and And he's been using this analogy of a shepherd and the sheep and how he is the good shepherd and we are the sheep and and the sheep know the shepherd's voice and they respond to the shepherd. And then here in these verses, he kind of tweaks the analogy a little bit and he talks about how he's the gate and that life is found by entering through him. 
And so he says in John 10, 9 through 10, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. See that sense of rhythm to life as a follower of Christ. And then Jesus wants to warn us that there's an enemy in this world who is not out for our good, who only wants to hurt us. And so he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You understand, Jesus is not talking about pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. He's talking about life now. That he has come to give you life today and to the full as you pursue him, as you follow him, as you engage in the life he has called you to live, as you engage in the freedom he has come to give you. And do you understand that he has set you free for a purpose And it's not to bum around on earth till he calls you home, right? It's to live for him in this world. And as you begin to get a sense of this, a sense of the calling he has for your life and the gifting he has for your life, as you begin to play your part in his body, you will begin to experience fulfillment, life to the full. But my sense is, is that if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not experiencing fulfillment in your journey, it's probably because you're not playing the part he has for you within the context of his body. And so my my hunch for you is that the Christian life, the Christian journey has become much more of a spectator sport than it has something that that you're actively engaging in. And let me tell you that the Christian life is not meant to be a spectator sport. Later today, millions and millions and millions of us are going to tune in to watch the big game. Do we have any fans in the room? There we go. All right. Remember, that doesn't divide us. We're united. But I'm just asking if you're fans, right? Yeah. The reason why we're going to tune in and watch this game is because we're fans, right? And, and so some of you, there's different kinds of fans. Some of you are a fan because your team is in the game, and that's your team, and they're going to win. Even though you're not on the team, you somehow think it's your team and whatever. I always find that weird. They're like, yeah, we're better. It's like, do we even know you exist? No, but whatever. But, but some of you are fans, but not so much because your team is in the game. You're more of a bitter fan right now, and you're cheering for this team to knock out the other team that knocked your team out, Right? That's the kind of fan you are. And, and yeah, some of us, your fans like me, like I didn't even know who was playing until a few of you yelled out the teams. I just know it's today. You're not so much a fan of the team, but you're a fan of the event itself and you're a fan of the food, right? Or you're a fan of the commercials, right? Wow. I have found my people in this room. But it doesn't matter what kind of fan you are. Crazy, mellow, excited, bitter, hungry. It doesn't matter. Do you know what all fans have in common? They sit and they watch. And every once in a while they'll stand up and cheer or jeer or shove it in their friend's face or grab another chip with dip on it. But then they sit and they watch. Because that's what a fan does. And you understand that Jesus does not call you to be his fan. He doesn't call you to like him on Facebook. He calls you to 
follow him. And he calls you to get in the game for which he has freed you. And so to be a follower of Jesus, that means that we suit up and we take the field. And we learn to listen to his voice as he calls the play. And Jesus said that he would build his church and in this world the gates of hell would not prevail. And Jesus teaches his followers to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the way that God's kingdom comes in this world is when God's will is done through his people. Jesus calls you to be a part of his body in this world. And yet so often we settle for being a fan. And the tragedy of being a fan of Jesus is that it's very easy to grow bored or disgruntled. And when that happens, when we're merely a fan of Jesus, we're not really experiencing the fulfillment that he talks about, life to the full that he said he had for us. And when we're not experiencing that from him, it becomes very easy to begin to try and find it in other things, to find fulfillment in the things of this world instead of from him. And so we seek to find fulfillment in the next latest and greatest and brightest and shiniest and coolest, right? as if somehow the stuff of this world would fulfill me and satisfy me. And yet, if the stuff of this world could fulfill you and satisfy you, why hasn't it? Why do I have the fourth version of the phone in my pocket? Why didn't the first version make me eye happy? Right? And if we don't find it in the stuff of this world, we seek to find it in the next success, the next accomplishment, the next achievement. If I can only attain thus, then I will be fulfilled and happy. And yet it never does, does it? It doesn't matter how many times you beat your buddies in golf, it doesn't last, does it? And the reason why is that we were not created for the things of this world. We were created for him. And that means that we will not find fulfillment in life apart from him. This is why John writes in 1 John chapter 2, the, the references there on your message notes, he says, do not love this world or anything in it. And he's not talking about the people of the world. He's talking about the stuff and the ways of this world. And he says that the world and its desires will fade away, but the man who does the will of God will live forever. And so let me ask you the question, as a follower of Jesus, are you fulfilled? And let that question settle over you. And if necessary, let that question unsettle you. Because he has more for you than simply sitting and watching. And so now let me ask you another question to help us get at this idea if we're playing our part in the body of Christ. Second question is this. As a follower of Jesus... Are you focused? As a follower of Jesus, are you focused in life? Here's what I mean by this. That that if you have a sense of how you have been called and how you have been gifted, and if you're playing your part, that will bring incredible focus to your life because you know what it is you've been called to do. You know how you've been gifted to fulfill that, and you're playing your part. And you have incredible focus in your life. But if you don't have focus, probably that means you don't have a sense of how God has called you yet. You don't understand the part you've been called to play. And so oftentimes what, that, what happens when we don't have focus is we become ineffective as followers of Jesus. And we can become ineffective in a couple of ways. 
We look at the needs around us, we see what's going on, and it's so overwhelming, and we don't know what we're supposed to do, so it becomes overwhelming to the point that we either do nothing and we shut down, or we try to do everything. But either way, we become ineffective. Because as you ever paid attention to the needs around you in life, it's, it's overwhelming at times, isn't it? Like, I mean, you, you get the letters from Compassion or World Vision, or you turn on the TV and you see the kids starving, or you, whatever it is, you just hear about the needs around you, and you're like, you know what, it's too much, I can't handle it, just turn it off. Would somebody just please sing a happy song, make it go away? And we live like ostriches with our heads stuck in the sand, and we have zero focus because we're so overwhelmed we shut down and do nothing. And the mistake that we make when this happens is that we underestimate God and what it is that he wants to do in us and through us in this world. But sometimes we make the other mistake when we get overwhelmed in life. And we see the need and we have such a burden to do something and to help that we try to do everything. And we're the opposite of an ostrich burying its head in the sand. We're a chicken with its head cut off. And we're running around trying to save everyone and do everything and fix everything. And we're chewing so much that we're no longer effective at anything. We're no longer good for anything because we're trying to do everything. And you can't do everything well, which means you're not doing anything good. And the mistake that we make in that is that we overestimate our ability. Somehow thinking that we're the Savior instead of looking to the one who is the Savior. And yet when you have focus in life, when you have a sense of how you have been called and gifted and the part he's called you to play, you have incredible focus in life. And when you have focus in life, it empowers you to say yes to the things that God is calling you to do. He is calling you to be a part of. And it also empowers you to say no to the things that don't have your name on it. That it is just as healthy to say no to good things that he's not calling you to do as it is to say yes to the things he does want you to do. And the beautiful thing is that no single one of us is called to be all things and do all things, but together he gifts us and unites us so that we can do great things for him. And so again, as a follower of Jesus, are you focused? And let this question settle over you and if necessary, let it unsettle you. Because my hope in asking you these questions is that it will awaken within you a desire for what it is that he has for you. Because he has called you. He has gifted you. And that means that you have a part to play in his body. And so how do you begin to figure that out? How do you begin to unpack what that is and what your role is? And so let me suggest a few things to you this morning on how you can begin to figure out the part he's called you to play to discover your calling and gifting. And so here's a few things I would suggest for you to do. And and if you have a good handle on this, that's great. Maybe these will just be things to help affirm that. But here today, if you don't, and you're like, you know what, I want more. I want more of what he has for me. Then begin to do these things. And so the first thing would be this. Ask. Ask him to reveal to you how he has gifted you and what he is calling you to do. Look at what Jesus has to say about this idea of asking God. In Luke 11, 9-13, Jesus says this, he writes, or he says this, he goes, um, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? That's rhetorical, don't raise your hand. <laughs> or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion, right? So the analogy is like earthly dad's, 
generally know how to give good things to their kids. And so his point is this. If you then, though you are evil, he had such a high view of us. If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so what Jesus says is ask God to reveal to you. Ask him to show you. And I would encourage you that as you begin to ask, as you begin to say, God, how have you gifted me? How have you called me to play your part in the body of Christ? I would encourage you to ask with hands that are open before him. I think this is just a great posture to ask God for anything. And here's what I mean by asking with your hands open. I think it's totally okay to bring to him your desires, but you want to hold those desires loosely. Because when it comes to spiritual gifts, if you get into study spiritual gifts and look at the different ones that they are, it's very easy to go, you know what, God, I would like this one, this one, and this one, but please not these three, right? Like when I was a kid at Christmas, I'd get the Sears catalog and I'd circle all the presents that I wanted and I'd cross out the things I wanted and I'd hand it to mom and dad and be like, thank you, right? And, and yet I think it's okay to go before God and say, God, here are the des- desires of my heart. If it were life on my terms, this is kind of what I would like, but your will be done. Just like Jesus did in the garden on his way to the cross, when he said, look, if there's any other way that we can do this besides me going to the cross, sign me up, but your will be done. And so we say, God, I give you my heart. I give you permission to transform me, to tweak me, to change my desires until your desires become my desires. And then would you give me the gifts that you want to give me on your terms and show me how to live the calling you have on my life? but start asking him to show you what that is. And then as you're asking, do this next thing. Explore. As you're asking him, just don't sit there and wait for something to happen like a telegram to come or something. Get active in the body of Christ and begin to explore the opportunities that he has set before you. And begin to do things until something starts to resonate with you. And here's how I think that you will begin to identify and discover experientially the gifts and calling he has for your life. That as you begin to step out and start doing things, as you begin to embrace the opportunities he sets before you, that a couple of ways that I think that you'll begin to, to, to dial in on it. One way is that as you do something, it will energize you. It'll energize you in a way that makes you excited about the opportunity or you want to be a part of it more and more. And by that, I don't, mean it w- that, I don't mean that it'll be easy. Sometimes it'll be challenging and hard and difficult, but yet the doing of it creates a hunger and energy in your life. Like if you've ever been on a missions trip and then you come back and you're exhausted, you're tired and you stink, but you get out your calendar and you say, when can I go again? Because it was such an amazing experience. God did something in and through your life. That's what I'm talking about. There's a sense like it energizes you. And you're like, God, I want to do this for you for the rest of my life. But not only that, here's another way that you can kind of begin to identify. As you do that, as you use your gifts within the context of the body of Christ, people will begin to affirm that in your life. And so if you're beginning to wonder like, well, maybe I have the gift of encouragement. And so you start asking the people that know you well that you're doing life with. You're like, hey, do I have the gift of encouragement? If they all say no, that's a good clue, right? Like, I don't think so because whenever you talk, people just start crying, right? Or the opposite may be true. They're like, you know what? It seems like that's the case because whenever you speak into somebody's life, it goes so much deeper than a Hallmark card. Like, you give a sense of hope and perspective and this person's eyes are lifted up to look beyond this moment 
and you're like a breath of fresh air in that person's life. But others will affirm it in you as you start to exercise it. In my own journey, in my own life as a follower of Christ, as I began to discover what the gifts were that he had for me, it was simply by exploring and stepping into the opportunities that he set in front of me. When I was 18 years old, I was serving with my church with the junior high students at my church. And so I was just helping out, doing my thing. And so the summer between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college, we went away to summer camp. And let me tell you, there has to be a serious calling on your life to go to summer camp with a bunch of junior hires, right? And so I remember we're there at camp, and one of the things that we would do every day is we'd do cabin breakout time. And so we'd gather together, I'd gather with my cabin of junior high guys, and we'd just sit down and talk about the things that were going on. And there'd be like a study that we'd walk through, and you know, what's God teaching you, and stuff like that. And I just remember on this one day, the study was lame. Right, so like I'm sitting there talking to him, I'm trying to work my way through this and like the kids are throwing rocks at each other and they're like, you know, spinning around. So finally I just threw the study aside and I just said like, look, do you guys have any questions about the things that we've been talking about or whatever? And so these kids just started asking questions like, what do I do when I get home and everyone makes fun of me because I'm a Christian? Or, or what do I do if mom and dad don't share my beliefs? And as they're asking the questions, suddenly like these scriptures started coming to my mind and so we'd open up the Bible together and I'd start reading some passages and just kind of walking them through what was being said and what that meant and sharing from my own life. And I remember as I was doing this, I suddenly looked up at them and they were all staring at me, listening. And it freaked me out. Because I was like, what is going on? And then I started to pay attention more and more in that moment, what was happening. I started listening to the things that I was saying and what was going on, and, and I was amazed. Now, let me qualify that. I wasn't amazed with me. I was amazed with what God was doing in that moment. And it was the first time in my life where I began to realize that he had gifted me with teaching. And 20 years later, I've just been trying to be faithful to that and figuring out what it is and why God would take the awkward shy guy and put him up in front of people. I think it's his joke on me. <laughs> but explore the opportunities that he puts in front of you. There are all sorts of things that as you begin to ask and explore, just step into the opportunities. And if it's not for you, great. Move on to something else. On your notes, there's some resources that I put there for you, some things to help you as you seek to explore this. One of them is one of the essentials courses that we do here. These are courses that we've created to help you grow in a particular area of the Christian life. And so one of those courses is called Serving Sacrificially. And so this is a course that we've made available now online. So if you go to the Rocky Peak website and click on the essentials, you can sign up to take this class. The course itself is free. You'd have to pay for the materials because we don't own those. But the course itself, all that content is theirs. It's yours for free. And this is a course that you can just take in your own pace, in your own time. You can watch the videos, download the audio. And it's designed to help you explore and discover how it is that you've been gifted and called to play a part in the body of Christ. And if you take that class, one of the things that you'll do is take this spiritual gifts test right here by C. Peter Wagner. It's called Finding Your Spiritual Gifts. And so this would be a part of that class. But if you'd like to take this apart, we have them at the bookstore here today. You can pick one up. Now, don't get freaked out by the fact that it says test. Because this is not pass or fail, all right? This is simply a tool, a resource for you to explore and answer stuff. And so there's just a bunch of statements that you would agree with, a little bit or not a lot. And so you just kind of walk through it based on your understanding of yourself. And don't write C for all of them, like you're going to try and average the score and pass the SAT or something. It doesn't work like that. 
but you just work through this, and it's a tool that's just designed to help you begin to explore and discover. Now, if you don't like it, throw it away. I don't care. It's just a tool that's there to help you, all right? So, so if it's like you get done with it and like, yeah, it didn't really work, fine. Keep exploring. Keep asking. Keep seeking him. And then there's a website there on your notes. It's called spiritualgiftstest.com. This is something designed by another church. It's not designed by us at Rocky Peak, but it's a resource that this other church, this other ministry has put out there. It's a totally free test that you can take online. But explore until you begin to find the things that click, the things that resonate, the things that are affirmed by others in your life. And then as you do that, this last thing is this. Invest. Invest yourself in what it is that God has called and gifted you to do as a part of the body of Christ. That means that you need to pour yourself into whatever it is he has for you. And you need to prioritize your life so that you can use your time and your resources to play the part he's called you to play. And so that means that as you begin to identify that and you begin to find those areas where he's called you to serve, that you get out your calendar and you put it on your calendar. Because one of the things that we've learned in this series in The Simple Life is that if we're going to put first things first, we need to put first things first. And so that means on the calendar. And so if you're volunteering on a ministry team or some context of this church, don't bail on that. I'm saying that for everyone listening to the podcast right now because they bailed on us for the Super Bowl. That's for them. I have the spiritual gift of guilting, so it's good. (laughs) But you need to make this a priority in the sense of how you use your time. You also need to make this a priority in how you use your resources because if you're going to be faithful to the calling and gifting he's given to you, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you perhaps opportunities as you look at life and there's an opportunity with career or work to pursue this and yet God's saying, no, I want you to give that time or your resources or your energy over here. It's going to cost you. If God has gifted you with resources financially, he may call you to use those for the benefit of another person. And yet do not be surprised if it costs you because it's supposed to. Because you were created and set free to be a renewable resource in the body of Christ. See, God has poured out his grace on your life, not simply to save you, but he has given you grace in the form of a gift to be used for the benefit of others. So if you want to experience more of God's grace in your life, you need to be willing to give away the grace he's given you. So God will pour his grace on your life and then you take that and you say, God, how do you want me to use it? And you give it away to others the best you can as you've been gifted and called to do it. And as you do that, he will pour more of his grace in your life. That's how you grow as a follower of Christ. I want you to see something Peter writes in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. Talking about these ideas of gifts, Peter says this. He says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, and so he gives two examples, speaking and service. He says, if anyone speaks, he should speak the very words of God. If anyone serves, pay attention to this, he should do it with the strength who provides? God provides. See, God's the one at work in your life, growing you and giving you what you need to use the gifts he's given you. So if you want to experience more of him in your life, then you have to be willing to invest yourself in the areas that he's gifted you and called you as a part of the body of Christ. 
And let me tell you, as you're beginning to try and discover this and find this within the context of our church here, there are so many ways that you can step up to begin to use the gifts he's given you and to embrace the call he's placed on your life. See, the way we do church here at Rocky Peak is, is a variety of ways. One of the ways we do it is when we gather together here on the weekends. This is just one way that we do church together. And the purpose of gathering here together on the weekends is so that we can worship him and seek him. And then we can open up his word together and say, God, would you show me what it means to live for you the rest of the week? You understand that that's the purpose why you're here right now? It's not just to write stuff down today and then put it away. It's so that you can live for him the rest of the week. And yet, in order to do this well, we need men and women who are willing to step up and serve one another in their areas of giftedness. I mean, some of you are sitting here right now because there are men and women who have embraced the call that God has placed on their life, and they're watching your kids. And for them, it's not babysitting. For them, it's how do we love these kids one step closer to Jesus? And they are playing their part. And yet, we're going to need men and women to join them in being faithful to the call God has placed on their life. We have, a, we have a team here that we call the First Impressions Team. These are men and women who say, I want to I make this a welcoming place when people show up on the weekend. And so I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you're driving in on the parking lot and someone snakes your spot right as you're about to pull in. Right, and it's church, but you really want to tell them something. And then you look down and you see that guy smiling at you and waving you into the next spot. And you realize, oh, that was God's grace on my life on that moment because I was about to say something stupid, right? See, there's men and women that are serving in those roles to make this a welcoming place for people. And let me, let me just tell those of you that are serving first impressions, you amaze me. Because I've seen you standing out in the blistering heat or the freezing cold, smiling at us. That's a gift. <laughs> As you step up to play your part in the body of Christ. But that's just one way that we do church. There's, there's another way that we do church beyond the weekend in our life group where we take this larger church body that's gathered together on the weekend and we break it down into a smaller community of believers, the body of Christ, smaller together as we do life together. And let me tell you, if you're in a life group, the purpose of being in a life group is not simply to show up, though that's helpful. The purpose of being in your life group is to begin to discover how he wants to use you in that context in the ways he's gifted and called you. And so I would encourage you to, to talk to your leaders and say, hey, is there something that I can do on behalf of another person in this group, a need that maybe you're aware of that I could step up and serve or meet or help or love or encourage someone in this group in a way? And then seek to be faithful to those opportunities that God gives you. Let, let me tell you, we have been growing as a church numerically since the beginning of this year. Like, I don't, I don't know if you've been paying attention to whatever service you normally come to, but since the beginning of the year, we have grown by 300 adults on our weekend service. And it's just exciting to see. It's exciting to see what God's doing. But with that growth come challenges and opportunities. Because if we're going to make room for the men and women God is entrusting to us, we're going to need to be faithful to the call he's placed on us which means that there are some of you that God has been tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, I want you to step into leadership. I want you to set, step up and embrace leading a life group so that we can make room for the men and women God has given us. If God has been knocking on that door, open it. We need you to play your part in the body of Christ. But there are all sorts of opportunities, and so those are just a few examples. We need men and women who will love on the next generation, who will serve in our middle school and high school, who will serve our college students, Right? College students, right? There we go. They need you. And we need you because God has called and gifted you as well. Amen to that. Are you playing your part? 
because it's beautiful when we get it right, when we do it together, when we serve him as one another, because this is what Paul says at the end of this section, Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. He says, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Are you playing your part in the body of Christ? Are you asking? Are you exploring? Are you investing? Because when we step up and do it together, God unleashes his movements amongst us as we shine for him in this world. And that's what it means to belong to him and to live for him and to serve him. And so as we wrap up our time, we're going to go into a time of worship. And I want to encourage you to let the questions that we've been wrestling with carry you into this time of worship. And as you go into this time of worship, to just seek him and say, God, what is it that you have for me? And we're going to invite the ushers to come up in just a moment. They're going to collect our gifts and our offerings. Just, to, just one way that we serve together to help build the body of Christ. But I, I want to encourage you to think through something with, with me as we go into this time. That, that oftentimes we do not serve because of ignorance. And we don't know what, that, what it is that we're called to do. And so we've been talking about that today. Figure it out as you pursue him. But there's another reason why we often don't serve. And that's because of indifference. And that somehow our hearts have grown hard. And so I want to encourage you, if that's where you're at today, to ask God to break your heart. As you go into this time of worship, just say, God, would you break my heart wide open to all that you have for me, all that you want from me? And would you shape my heart and remake it into the person you've set me free to become? And so would you stand and pray with me as we go into this time? And so, Lord, we're gathered here together in this place under the banner of your name. God, not one of us stands here before you because of our own goodness. We stand here only because of your grace poured out upon us. And yet, God, as amazing as your grace is, your grace that has saved us, you've also poured out your grace on our life to empower us to live for you. And so, God, we're asking for more of your grace at work in our life. God, we're asking that you would unleash your spirit within us collectively as your church in this place. That we would step up to what it is that you've called us to do. That we would use the gifts that you've given us for the benefit of those around us. That we would live for your kingdom come, for your will to be done in us and through us in this place. And God, would you teach us what it means to be your church and to live as your church so that we would shine for you in these valleys around us, that we would live and love each other so well that it would spill out to the men and the women that don't know you yet, those that you are calling to be a part of your movement. And so teach us to be the church that you've desired us to be from the beginning. Teach us to be faithful. We love you, Lord, and we want to show you that by the way we choose to live. Amen. He has so much more for us. All we have to do is be faithful and enter into that and we will experience him do great things in the life of this church as we play the part he's called you to play, as you play the part he's called and gifted you to play.
so may you seek to be faithful. May you never settle to be a fan. But may you be a follower of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if you're here today and, and you just want someone to love on you and pray over you in this time, there's some men and women in the back of the room that would love to do that, that are playing their part in our body here. So if you'd like to make your way back there after the service, they'll, they'll love to serve you in that way. But next week, we're going to continue on this journey together as we continue to unpack the simple life, putting first things first as followers of Jesus. Mike will be here to continue us in that series. So until then, live for him and may your team win. God bless. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.